Well, good morning, friends. Great to be here with you. If you're visiting with us for the first time, my name's Mike, the pastor here at Salt Church. It's wonderful that you're here with us. Look at you all attentive. Wow. So good. Uh, if you've got your Bible there, could you open it to Genesis chapter 1? We're going to look at Genesis 1 and 2 together this morning. Uh, if you're new to Salt Church, um, welcome. What we normally do before we dive into God's Word is just take a moment to bring our thoughts and our hearts and the things that have been going on for us to God. We're just going to take a moment to be silent before Him, to bring ourselves to Him that we might hear Him speak. So I'm going to be quiet for a whole minute and then I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to dive into God's Word together. So let's just take a minute together. Don't worry about the noise. If there's kids around, that's okay. They don't need to be quietened. But uh, let's just take a moment together to be with our God and we'll pray. Now, Father, we've been reminded together this morning in the songs that we've sung and as we've heard the Scriptures being read that you are our Creator. That because you're the Creator, that makes you the King, the Maker and the Ruler of all things. And that means we're your creation, created beings, made by you in your image, made in your likeness to reflect your goodness and your glory. We pray now that as we hear from you, our creator and our king, that our hearts would be open wide to who you are and what you're doing in us. That you who spoke the world into being now speak new life into us because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so we pray now that you'd help us to hear you speak and that your word would be applied to our life, that we might live as your people in your place under your rule. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible. Hey, have you read this thing? I mean, seriously, have you tried reading the Bible? Not just bits of it, not just the odd verse here and there, not just the same selected stories on endless repeat. I mean, have you tried reading it? It's enormous, isn't it? And it's really old. It's an ancient book, 66 different books comprising of two different testaments, the Old Testament and a New Testament. And let's be honest, the new one isn't all that new anymore. Written by numerous authors in three different languages spanning numerous millennia. But it's also a bit confusing, isn't it? How do we make sense of the Bible? A book that's made up of many books. Which bits are still relevant and which bits aren't? And how do you know which bit is which? I mean, some of the ethics in here, well, they seem to be a little unethical. Especially for our enlightened and scientific minds in a modern, progressive, individualistic and Western culture. We've got questions about human origin. Questions about genocide and colonialisation and slavery. Questions about marriage and gender and identity and sexuality. The Bible raises all of these questions for us and a whole lot more besides. Not to mention what do you do with the law? What about animal sacrifices? Can we eat prawns? Can we wear polyester cotton? Are tattoos and piercings okay? Can we drink alcohol? Who and who isn't allowed to dance? <laughs> Lots of people have questions about the Bible. Even Christians get confused about this sort of stuff. And maybe you're a little bit confused too. And so over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of the whole Bible. We're not going to be looking at every story in the, in the Bible because that would take a lot more than 10 weeks. 
but the story of the whole Bible because the Bible is telling us one story. From the beginning to the middle to the end, the Bible is telling one story. But before we begin, let me just make a quick point because it's been brought to my attention that when it comes to the word story, apparently not all of us are on the same page. When some of us hear the word story, we think fantasy, make-believe, fairy tale, Disney. No need to put up your hand. I know exactly who you are. Some of us categorise story with myth and fable and legend, but the Bible isn't any of these things. Story does not mean make-believe or fairy tale. It means that there is a unity to the whole narrative. When we ask someone to tell us their story, we don't expect them to make something up about themselves. We expect to hear the truth about them, who they are, how they got to this point in their life, where are they heading. We're asking for facts, not make-believe, not fiction. So when I say story, that's what I mean. These are the facts and the events that God wants us to hear about him, about God, about his world and about ourselves. And so now that we've got the story straight about story, let's begin at the beginning because that's where this story begins, in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, you've got your Bible there? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Not once upon a time, not in a galaxy far, far away, not it was the best of times or it was the worst of times, the Bible begins with in the beginning. And in case you missed that this is the beginning, the word Genesis also means beginning. And so this is where we're meant to start here in the beginning. The Bible didn't tell us that where God was, it doesn't tell us where God was before all of this, doesn't say what he was doing before this happened. It simply tells us that in the beginning, God created. This is the beginning. And so, this is God's world. He owns it. God created it from the beginning. God is the maker of the heavens and the earth. Everything that is outside of God's creation, from the very beginning, God created. When there was nothing, friends, there was God the creator, making his world from nothing but made it all out of love. There were no other creators. There are no other gods here to speak of. When it comes to matter, here's what matters most, says the scriptures. The creator speaks things into existence. Stephen Hawking once claimed that a combination of quantum theory and general relativity will describe the initial conditions of the universe. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 just says, and God said. See it with me, verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Contrary to popular opinion and general belief, science did not create the world. Genesis isn't at odds with science. They are simply answering two very different questions. Science is asking the question, how? Genesis gives us the answer, who? There's no one else in this story so far. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ancient civilizations worshipped the sun and the moon as gods. The Egyptians 
had over 2,000 deities. Even today, 41% of Australians still follow their star signs. But verse 16 just says, God made the stars. The sun and the moon are simply greater and lesser lights. Our creator, friends, controls the dimmer switch. Now, it only takes a cursory glance on our part to look at Genesis 1 to see that there is a repetitive pattern of God's handiwork in creation. And maybe this idea of a repetitive pattern should shape the way that we read the rest of the Bible. Although each day of creation is different, there is an order and a pattern to God's creative work. See if you can see the repetitive pattern with me. And God said, God saw, God separated, God made, God called, and God blessed, and God rested. Every day of creation begins much, every day of creation begins and ends much the same way, kind of like it does at my house. And God said, and there was evening and there was morning, and in between the start and the finish of each day of creation is all the work that God does. Creating. That's what God does. God is the creator. He makes stuff. He doesn't call in quotes from contractors, doesn't outsource construction to others, doesn't run an offshore call centre, doesn't consult with Google or chat GPT. It's all the work of his hands. Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim, the skies above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You see, God is the maker of all things. And that makes him the king of all things too. God is maker. God is king. See it with me, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 95 verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And here's where this story, God's story, impacts on you and your story. Because we've just heard what it is that humanity should do. Worship our maker. Kneel before him as Lord. Because the high point of all of God's creative work is humanity. God speaks. And now he speaks to us. God speaks our lives into existence too. Verse 26, chapter, 21, verse, chapter 1, verse 26. See it with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want you to see this here, purpose, value, worth, belonging, identity, equality, dignity and significance. This is what we were made for. Made in the image of God. Male and female made in God's image. God creates us in his own likeness. 
creation now reach its ultimate purpose because without humanity, creation itself is pointless. But what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? How is it that we bear God's likeness? Well, if you're a person who still carries coins with you, I wonder if you might pull it out. Because whose image is it that's on the back of the coin? Whose likeness is it that you see there? Well, it's the image of our royal sovereign, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Now, I've not seen any coins with King Charles on them yet. Maybe that's why they've gotten rid of coins. (laughs) But whether you like them or you love them, that wasn't in my script, I just made that up. This (laughs) This is how I get into trouble. But whether you like them or you love them, whether you have an unhealthy preoccupation with them or whether you want to be free of our British overlords, the reign of the English monarch reaches to this point. Travel anywhere in the Middle East, it's the same thing. Only it's the image of their king who's everywhere. Every statue or picture reminds the people that the rule of their king reaches even to this point. We've been made in the image of God. We reflect the likeness of God to one another. Reminding us in every human encounter that we have that God's rule extends this far even to this point. But even more than that, friends, God is in relationship with himself. Hear his words, let us make man in our image. In God's likeness we've been made for relationships. Made for a relationship with God. Made for a relationship with each other. Made for a relationship with all of creation. Not just to relate to all that he's made. God made us to be rulers over all that he has made. God has given the creation of the world to people. God has given the creation of his world for people. God made us to rule the world under him. See it there, chapter 1 verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God wants his image and his likeness to fill the earth that he has made so that his image and his imprint and his likeness is seen everywhere and in everything. Made in the image and likeness of God means that we are God's earthly ambassadors. We are his vice regents. God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's who we are. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25, we start narrowing down on the specifics of what that means, of what it means to be God's people in God's place and under God's rule. Because the Bible isn't just universal and abstract in its outlook. God deals specifically with people, certain people. Listen as he relates now to Adam, Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God doesn't call him Adam because this is in alphabetical order. It's not like A is for Adam. The name Adam in Hebrew means man. God takes the Adam 
he's made and he places the Adam in the garden that he's made and he gives the Adam a job. And these are the terms of the Adam's employment. Adam is to be a caretaker, a groundskeeper, the curator of a garden. His task is to care for his environment. He is the world's first conservationist. Working the earth carefully and sustainably, God's representative here in the Garden of Eden. If Adam does his divinely appointed ambassadorial task, God will remunerate Adam generously. The man will be fruitful in God's fruitful garden. Blessing, increase, abundance, flourishing. The Garden of Eden, friends, is simply beautiful, it is spectacular and an abundant paradise, the place where God breathes life into humanity, is said to be simply breathtaking. But every employment contract has its terms. Adam doesn't have to join a union. He doesn't have to pass a medical. doesn't need to renew his qualifications or certifications. Adam is already work fit, literally made for the job. And so God gives Adam, the Adam, this command. Watch what you eat. Genesis 2 verse 16. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this isn't a spoiler alert because, of course, we all know what happens next. Adam doesn't make healthy food choices, does he? He doesn't control his picky eating habits. Ruled by his own desires and not by God's word, Adam literally eats what is now going to kill him. Next week together we'll consider the consequences of Adam's choices, but for now... Let's see that we've been made for relationships. The Creator has made you, made us, for relationship. Look there, chapter 2, verse 18. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Having seen that his creative work was very good, God now sees it's not good for the man to be alone. So God makes for Adam a companion. God searches to find for Adam his complement. One who is like him, one who literally matches him. God is maker, but also matchmaker. But God doesn't use a dating app or go on a TV show. He doesn't swipe right, friends. He just swipes a rib. And God creates for Adam a perfect match. God made us for relationships. And as blissful as all of this now sounds, it 
doesn't take a genius for us to see that things aren't the way they were back in the beginning. Does it? Our world isn't complete. Our world isn't fruitful or healthy or flourishing. But it's broken and it's barren and it's busted and sometimes it's boring. We were made for God. But instead we've made a life for ourselves. Made in his image and likeness but now we do whatever it is that we like. The things created to bring our lives into meaning can sometimes be menial, meaningless and a means to an end. Work that's meant to bring meaning to our existence can easily become a form of slavery or escapism. Relationships designed and made to bring us joy can become fractured and strained. We were created for one another, but instead we live for our own selfish pleasures. Made to rule over all of God's creation, but creation is now out of control. Genesis 1 and 2 presents us with the ideal. This is the very good world that God has made. But Genesis 1 and 2 isn't really our collective experience, is it? Eden is not our shared environment. The longing within us to repair what's now broken reminds us that we've been created for so much more than what there is now. We long for life from the tree of life, but we've satisfied ourselves from the forbidden tree instead. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil causes us to redefine good and evil for ourselves just so that we can continue to please ourselves. So we refine good as evil and evil as good. We don't see the world the way that God first saw it. Isn't that your experience of life too? Outside the garden. While that big old book on your lap tells us that Genesis 1 and 2 isn't your present reality anymore, that big old book on your lap also tells you that this isn't the end of the story either. God's in the creation and restoration business, friends. God is a creator. It's what he does. He makes stuff. He makes things. And now... He's making all things new. See it with me, won't you? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who, brought, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Do you see that? God the maker is now making all things new. And God wants to make all things new in you. All that's now broken in our world. All that's now busted within us. All that is menial and meaningless and simply a means to an end. Our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, our churches, our communities, 
God is making all things new. Jesus said, Behold, I am making all things new. God no longer counts our sins against us, friends. He's reconciled. We can be reconciled to God, made new. That's what that word means, through Christ. And that is the story of the whole Bible. Purpose, value, worth, belonging, identity, equality, significance are not found in the old creation anymore. Nor are they found in the things that we do by our own hands. God is making all things new in Jesus. Life can only be found in him. So my question for you this morning is, what is it that you want God to make new in you? What is it that you want God to make new in you? Let's pray. Not for new earthly things. Not for new toys or new possessions. But a new heart. And a new spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are making all things new, that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Thank you that you are the God who continues to make all things new. And so we pray that you would do a new work in us. That we would be the new community of your people. That because we've been made new, because of Christ's resurrection, we pray that we would be made new and the place where others are called to be made new. The place where our sins are forgiven and counted against us no more. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be a church? Would you help us to be people who reflect your likeness and your goodness and your love as your ambassadors? in a world that is estranged and broken and busted and sometimes boring. Make us new, Lord Jesus. Make our families new. Make our marriages new. Make our church new. we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.